hey, I'd like to welcome not only you all, but the people who are watching online. I've got, I've got a couple of texts and so forth that uh, people are going to be watching. Hey, Ronnie, now's your chance. I forgot to give them to you back there. Um, if you care to get them and give them out. I've, I meant to give them to you back there before, before I came up here. Um, but this handout that I gave you, it, it's, it's pretty simple. It is not an exhaustive lists, a list of verses that deal with the words eternal, eternal life, everlasting, everlasting life. But that's what the tables are. It gives you where you can find some and do some personal study on them. On the back side, there is a list of scriptural references that I think if you go through them and look at them prayerfully, I think they will, they will be helpful to you. And again, it's, it's, it's not exhaustive at all, but um, I hope that it'll kind of stir your heart, prime, prime the Spirit of God moving in your heart and in your life and well, it will be a blessing to you. Last week, I, you, we started in the book of John chapter 3, verse 16. That's where I want us to go again tonight for our anchor verse for this study. And if you remember, um, I ask you a question. If John three sixteen was the only verse in the Bible, if there was not another verse in the Word of God that, that said that we have everlasting life or eternal life, this says... Uh, everlasting, I believe. I don't. Whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have uh, everlasting life. Would you believe that the believer had everlasting life when he got saved? And everybody in here said what? Yes. Everybody agreed to that. Well, if we can, if we can uh, accept the fact that God gives the believer assurance on one verse, then if we have the number of verses that we have, well, listen, we ought to sleep like babies from here on in. I mean, to tell you, it, it'll give us peace. It'll take away the terror, the dread. Um, I gave you my personal testimony. It may have been yours in some way, like me and Dorothy. We have a very similar upbringing and beginning. When we first started our walk with the Lord, we had no assurance of our salvation. We were always afraid that if we did the wrong thing and die, we'd go to hell. Although, the best we could, we'd repented of our sins, the best could we believe Christ of our salvation and yet we were never sure of our salvation we were taught that you can never be sure until you died and and you went to heaven well the word of God teaches something else it teaches us that we can be sure that we are saved and know why that we are saved so we went over to the book of Romans we went to other places looked at several other things uh, along the way but we went to Romans chapter 5 and that's where I want us to go. Spent several minutes of time on that because uh, I think there's something glorious here, something wonderful. And I told you last week in the study that before this preparation by me for this Bible study, I had looked at the phrase much more. It's one of my favorites, one of Paul's favorites. He uses it throughout his epistles, the 14 epistles that I believe he wrote, I believe he wrote Hebrews, without a doubt. He even uses the phrase much more in the book of Hebrews. He does it quite often in the book of Romans. Um, but this passage of Scripture here in chapter 5, beginning with verse 6, I'm going to read it here in just a second. I'm telling you, just tells us a lot about how we were saved 
and how we're kept, why we can have assurance of the believer, why we know that we have security in Christ. I asked the question last week, and I'm going to ask them again. How many of you were able to save yourself when you're lost? So now that you are saved, say amen. How many of you are able to keep yourself now that you are saved? It's the same answer of who could save you. Look, we're not saved by anything that we have done. It's not of works lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. We're saved by grace through, not of works lest any man should boast. It is, the, it is a gift. It is unmerited favor. It is a gift. It is something given. And, and while I'm here, uh, it's called grace. Somebody, somebody define grace. I've done said it's unmerited favor. Is there any other definitions you all want to share? That's a pretty good one. I've heard it said like this in, a, in an acrostic, God's riches, uh, G-R-A, God's riches at Christ's expense. Thank you. That's it. That's a pretty good one. Does anybody know the origination of the word grace, where it came from, who coined it, how it was applied, and what God did by taking it and using it in a spiritual sense? Anybody? Have you? No? Not trying to embarrass you. I just figured some. Well, aren't you glad you come? The, 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 when the Word of God in the New Testament was written, and I, I suppose most all of you all know this, it was written in Greek. Matter of fact, Koine Greek, which means the street language. It was, a, it was a common language of the Greek man. And their language, I mean, God made no mistake when he wanted the New Testament to be recorded, nor did he make any mistake when he wanted the Old Testament recorded because the Hebrew language is a very pure language. I'm of the opinion that's what we'll speak in eternity. Now, whether that's true or not, I have no idea, but God's going to restore pure language. I know that. But um, if I tell you all I had a good night last night, you all, unless I really specify or you just guess really well, you may not know what I'm talking about. Did I have a good night's sleep or did I have a good night come by my house and eat dinner with me? You follow what I'm saying? But in the Greek language, it is precise and it is clear. For instance, I say, Steve, I love you. He knows what that means, so do I do. When I look at Debbie and say, Bubba, I love you, she knows what that means, and so do I. If I say I love going fishing, it's a total different love than what I do with Steve or with Debbie, right? But the Greek language has, I think, like it's either four or five words for love, and they all are different. So when the Greek coined the word grace, it is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, and I do have that enunciation correct. What it meant was that someone without any reason would gift a friend. In other words, that friend had not, had not done anything to merit or any kind of action uh, to, to be rewarded for. It was just simply out of the love that they had in their heart that they wanted to gift their friend. So therefore, charis. They, they were graced by their friend. Look here. You know what God did? He took the word grace, and as he does, took it to a higher height and a deeper depth. Depth. You know what God did? Now listen, out of the goodness of his heart, out of the love of his heart, 
let me, let me see if I can find this verse quickly. I believe I can. Turn back to chapter 3 of Romans, verse 25 or 24. 24, Romans 3, 24. And listen to this as I read it. And mark, mark the phrase, being justified. What's the next word? Freely. Do you know what that word freely means? It means without a cause. It means that there was no cause in me or you, no reason coming out of me or you for God to do what he did in giving his son Jesus Christ to die in our stead so that we could be saved. So God, just out of his own heart, out of his love for lost humanity, so quote with me John three sixteen: For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There was no merit in us. There was no cause coming out of us that moved God to do that. So here's what God did. Instead of the Greek gifting a friend, listen to what he says here in Romans 5 and 6. 5 and 6, turn the page back. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one peradventure uh, would one die, yet peradventure for a good man would some die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That ought to make an RGTite shout. Isn't that wonderful? So see, we are we are graced. We are gifted by God. Now, listen, since we didn't merit it, since we didn't work to get it, it is a gift. We don't have to work to keep it. It's something God has given to us. God has worked for us. Now, let's go ahead and read the next two verses or three to go along with this. Look at verse 9. We find a much more, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. See the two works? We've been justified in the past because we believed him and we shall be, that's future, saved from wrath through him. And if we get far enough tonight, we're going to look at how we are saved and what the three tenses of salvation are according to the word of God. And let me give them to you now, give them to you again. We have been saved, we are being saved, we shall be saved. It is past, present, and future, okay? That's what the Word of God teaches. It's beautiful. God starts a work, He finishes a work. He starts it down here, He ends it in glory. Isn't that amazing? And I don't believe we're far from that. Uh, but He goes on to say, I, w- I want so bad right now to correct my definition of justification. I did such a poor job on it last week, but I'll do it in a minute. He said, for if, and that word if... What's the word if mean as we understand it? Well, as we understand it in English language, thank you for learning what what I've shared. But what does it mean generally in everyday usage in English? It's hypothetical. It is an if-then situation. If this this is in place, then we can expect a certain outcome. It 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 is depending upon. Now, Josh, but, or Josh, John, well, I got part of it, right? Y'all know me, but now, now, John, all right, what does it mean as far as the Greek language is concerned? Okay, there are two Greek words 
which were always translated if in the King James Bible. And somebody, people say, well, that's an error. No, that's why he said in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I never will forget when I first became a student of the Word of God. Man, I was running reference. Y'all know what that is. Following Scripture throughout from Genesis to Revelation on different subjects. I thought, well, Lord, why didn't God, why didn't God put all, uh, everything on this one subject in one place? And I thought, wouldn't that make it simpler? Well, as I grew, I don't like a topical Bible. A topical Bible to me is one of the most boring things I've ever put in my hand. Now, you all may love them. You, you all may prize your topical Bible. You know what I'm talking about, topical Bible? It is a Bible that groups together, according to subjects, not maybe all the scriptures, but many of the major scriptures out of the Word of God, and they just list them, bam, 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 one right after another. So God knew what he was doing when he put the Bible together like uh, that he did. But anyway, I don't know where I was going with that now. Can anybody tell me where I got... St- oh, yeah, thank you. And thank you. Yeah, in the Greek language, there are two words, and I can't remember what they were exactly. I think they were like E-N and E-A-N. But one of them meant hypothetical. If, then. We could expect something to happen if a certain set of circumstances were fallen, had fallen in place. But the second one is, it means what, John? Or, in light of the fact, thank you all. It's not a hypothetical thing. It is because something has already taken place. Jesus said, if God, now look, if God so clothes the lilies of the field, it's not hypothetical. We know he has, since God has. Jesus said, John 14 and 3, if I go away, it wasn't, it wasn't a question about him going away. It is since I go away. And you say, well, how do we know whether it's since or if? The context of the passage will help you easily understand it. Now, if nothing else, that was worth coming here tonight. But, but he goes on to say, For if or since when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, now, I stopped right here last week. I'm going to stop right here this week. We spend a lot of time on the death of Jesus, and I'm glad we do. Uh, what I told you, my five favorite words out of 1 Corinthians 15 and 3, Christ died for our sins. I love them. Five greatest, my opinion, that there is in the Word of God put together. We focus on his death. We rejoice in his death. We talk about his resurrection, but I don't know that I have been guilty enough of focusing on the life that he now lives. We know he lived sinless among us. How many years, roughly? 33 and a half. We know that he died for us. We know that he lived without sin. He was tempted, tried, tested like we are, so as without sin. He's the perfect high priest that can be filled with a feeling of our infirmities. And we, we got the perfect man. We know that he was crucified, buried, resurrected, 40 days later ascended. We know he sat down at the right hand of God. And we do talk about him interceding. We do talk about him being a mediator. But how much emphasis do we relate to that, to our security and the fact that we aren't saved by the life we live, but by the life he lives? Are you all with me? 
Now, I always try to quantify that. It is important how we live. If you agree with that, say amen. We live holy. Be you holy for I am holy. I don't hear much about that in other pulpits. I, I mentioned it on occasion, probably not enough. Be, be not fashioned like the world. You know, coming out from among the world, all these things. Uh, uh, he talks about First 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, to, to not to do any sins of the flesh or of the spirit. So, so there's a lot of scriptures tell us if we're going to have fellowship with God, we've got to walk or behave as we're walking in light, not in darkness. Because if we're walking in darkness, if our behavior is dark, if it's sinful, you know, we don't have any fellowship with God. I don't care what we profess. So listen to what he said again. Let's get it. Let it sink in. He said, for since when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So you see, the life that Christ lived is important, but nobody is ever saved by the life that he lived before he died. If you understand that, say amen. I've listened to preachers say it didn't matter how Jesus died as long as he died. I beg your pardon, dude. I mean, I mean, it's out there. You can get anything you want, and it's crazy. He had to die the death that he died to do the work that uh, God needed him to do. And if he hadn't have died on a cross at Calvary, his hands not been pierced, his feet had not been pierced, all the above, we'd be sinners lost on our way to hell, or I'd probably already be there. But he died to save us. And listen, here's, listen, he lives to keep us safe. Go, go with me to the book of um, Job. I'm hoping it's chapter 33. If it's not, I may just have to quote the scripture and you all go home and look it up and trust me until you do. But um, Job made a great statement. I mean, he, he just he had a great desire is, is what he had. And, and his desire uh, was, was for a, a daysman. And if it's not here, and I'm not sure that it is, I think 33, but I'm not seeing it. Could somebody look up the word daysman in your concordance? And tell us where, where it's at. And in the meantime, I'll be running, running my jaws and explain this. Job said, he, he cried, oh, that I might have a daysman. Everybody in here knows what a mediator is nowadays, correct? Well, that's what a daysman was. That's what Job was saying. Job said, listen, I need somebody that understands me, that can come between me and God, that understands God and me and bring me and God together. Hot? Thank you. What is it? 933. See, I was thinking 339, but that's the way my mind worked. Somebody read it. You all got it? Somebody go ahead and read it real loud. All right. If you go over to the book of, I believe it's 2 Timothy. If it's not, it's 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 5. The Bible says there is one mediator... And listen to how it's written. I used to get this wrong, but I got it right now. There is one mediator between men and God, the man, Jesus Christ. Now, the job of a mediator is to bring two parties together. The job of a mediator is to not completely, at least here on earth, fulfill all the desires of one party over another. But it is to bring them together. And the way he does that, his job is to understand both parties. To have a knowledge. Can you not see one of the reasons now why Jesus had to become a man? 
I mean, he lived among us. He understands us. He, he loves us, and I'm glad for that. And that's, that's what a daysman is. That's what a mediator does, and that's what Jesus has done. Being much more reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, the phrase much more, I tried to pronounce it in the Latin uh, enunciation. Anybody want to try it? Anybody look it up and try to pronounce it? Aforsia? Okay, but I've got a better one. If it's in English, if I can get it right, a fortiori. A fortiori. In English, that's easier. A fortiori. And I'd never heard of a fortiori until I began to study on this. I'd heard of much more, okay? Now, let me, let me tell you what it is. I got this definition off of Wikipedia. I did a lot of looking to try to find one. It's kind of deep. I'm going to read it twice. I'm going to read it slow. And I believe we'll get it because I believe it'll bless you. You see, I asked the question last week, does God love us more now that we're saved than he did before we were saved? We know that God, you know, commended his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. That's pretty big love. But I didn't write this book. I just read it and try to teach it. He said much more being justified or reconciled. Much more. So anyway, whether he does or not, I like to provoke people to thought. A, for, a fortiori means an argument from the stronger. Right, hold on. Hopefully this will help. It is a form of argument or argumentation that draws upon an existing confidence in a proposition to argue in favor of a second proposition that is held to be implicit in and even more certain than the first. Now, the proposition is Christ loved us so much, he died for us. That's proposition number one. It is a strong proposition. Shoo. And out of that proposition comes the second proposition. It is a stronger proposition than the first, but it comes out of it. So now let me read it to you again. I'll read it slowly. It is a form of argumentation that draws upon existing confidence in a proposition to argue in favor of a second proposition that is held to be implicit in and even more certain than the first. I say glory, hallelujah. On Wikipedia, that's where I found it. Look at a lot of different uh, definitions. I love, I love my, my, my phone defining things. I, I don't even have a Webster dictionary. I use Webster's online. I use the, the what is it, 18... 28 uh, online, but this Wikipedia was the best that I found. So does that help this week? Did I leave you here kind of last week wondering what's he talking about? I know I didn't present it as clearly as it deserves, as you deserve, even as I want. But I'm able to muddy the water at a heartbeat when I don't even try. So are y'all good? Any questions, comments? Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Any comments, questions? Okay, let's, um, 
Let's see where I think we ought to go. Let's um, let's go. Let's let's look at let's look at three things if if we can. And while while we're going, I'm trying to trying to figure out where where to turn. I want us to focus on. I want us to go to Ephesians chapter two, and uh, we'll look at verses eight and nine. What I want to do here, now that we know that that um, that. The security of the believer is a real Bible thing, that it is a possession for us. It is something that God uh, promises us in light of the fact of what Jesus did and what he's doing. What I want to do is look at, at how we're saved and pretty much how we're kept. So what I want to do here, I want us to look at Christ's part in salvation for us and the Holy Spirit's work in salvation for us. Now, in reality, all of the Trinity is involved in providing our salvation and even the perseverance of our salvation, of the keeping us, not the perseverance of our salvation, but of the keeping of us, of providing it and for preserving it for us and us in it. Maybe that's a the way I need, need to say it. So I'm not wanting to exclude God because he's not important, but I just feel led to look at what Christ done, has done and what he's doing and uh, what the Holy Spirit has done and what he is doing even in this hour in which you and I are, are walking for the Lord and walking with the Lord. So look at what he said in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, 8 and 9, and my look, if you mark your Bibles, I hope you've already got it marked. If you don't, um, try to memorize it. If you do mark your Bibles, this would be two great verses to mark and hold on to. Would somebody like to read that really loud like John did the last time? It'd be, it'd be appreciated. It is the gift of God. How wonderful that is. Now, that's how we're saved. I don't care who we are. Turn with me to the book of, um, keep your finger there in Ephesians, but another verse and passage that's oftentimes misunderstood, is oftentimes misunderstood comes to my mind. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read two verses, if that's okay. I really want to get the last part of verse 12 and, and all of verse 13, and I'll give you my history of this. I'll give you how I was taught this, how was I made to believe, how I was made to believe this. Paul talking and teaching and writing to the best church of the New Testament. Corinth was probably the most corrupt. Philippians, the church at Philippi, the church of, of the Philippians was probably the model church. Okay? Now listen to what he said. Now, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, let me ask you all. How do you all understand that last part of verse 12? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Boy, it does, doesn't it, John? Anybody else? Pardon? Take it to the Lord and do what? What's that mean? I like that, but take it to the Lord and what? You and him work out a contract? How that you're saved? That it may be different than the way Missy is saved? 
Okay, I like that. You hang on to that. I'll come back to you. Anybody else? You see, that's the way I was made to believe it when I got saved. Oh, you got to work out your own salvation now with fear and trembling. What do you mean? Hey, listen, look, everybody look up here. I know I'm not good looking, but I'm your teacher tonight anyway. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast it is the gift of God. There's one door, John 10 tells us, Jesus is it. There's one good shepherd, John 10 tells us, that give his life for the sheep. There's one name, Acts 4, 12 tells us, that, that through his name shall every, every man be saved, shall all the world be saved. And we could go on and on with several of those. God doesn't make a plan of salvation for Patsy Young that differences, differs with Phyllis Wolf. Doesn't do it for Jerry or Steve. We come through the same door. We come the same way. We come by the grace of God. And, and there are people today that, that are saying that repenting is a work. Drives me crazy where these, where these theologians come from. What was the first message of the New Testament? Preached by John the Baptist. What was Jesus' first message that John the Baptist had preached? Jesus, as sure as I'm sitting here, stole his message, stole his outline and preached it. It was so good. He preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus never stole anything. I'm just being facetious. John got put in prison, had his head cut off, his voice was silent, and Jesus picked up with the same message the same message that John had preached, and it's about repentance. Now, folks, I don't know about you. I still believe in old-fashioned repentance. I believe that's what's wrong with a lot of the church today. We're not repenting enough. We've lost our spirit power with God. We've lost our testimony in the world and among our family especially. I believe, I believe the Word of God teaches us in the book of the Revelation, repent. Repent, repent to those seven churches. If you look at them, maybe all seven of them had a message to repent, if I remember correctly. But anyway, we are saved the same way. The Spirit of God convicts us when we hear the Word of God preached. For it pleased God by the foolishness of singing to save men. It pleased God by the foolishness of a drama team on stage doing something to be saved. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to save mankind. It's God's way. Now, here's what he was saying. Jessica, what did you say? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What are you supposed to do? Okay, take it to the Lord, but the last part you said. Okay, she's got it. How many of y'all in here love to do algebra? Do you? You're a nut. You know it, don't you? I'm just kidding you, Jesse. I used to love it too. I really did. But you know what you had to do when you began to be faced with an algebraic problem? What did you have to do to get the answer? Work it out all the way to the end. That's what that verse is saying. He goes on to say, for it is God that worketh in you both to do. Is that, is that what, what does verse 13 say? It is, for God worketh. Let me get back where I'm supposed For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We're going to find a verse of scripture, probably not tonight. Can y'all believe it's 20 till? That says in Philippians 1.16, 
He said, he that hath begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of redemption. I believe it, or in the day of Christ. Until the day of Christ. We are to work what has been worked in us out. You see, our salvation, our gift of deliverance from sin, the assurance of our salvation, our being released from the power, uh, the penalty, and we're working on the power, and one day the presence of sin has been worked in us by God through grace, through the death and the life that Christ has done and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And once it is worked in us by God, we're to work it out in our life day by day, moment by moment, all the way to the end. No, it's not, we're not, we can't work to contract with God. Like I say to say, all right, Lord, now how am I going to be saved? I can't be saved like Steve does. Can't do what Steve does. But no, it's one way. And once it's worked in, we work it out in our life. Y'all, y'all remember the song that was sung by uh, Vestal Goodman? I was born to serve the Lord. My, my hands were made to help my neighbor. My eyes were made to read God's word. My feet were made to walk in his footstep. I was born to serve the Lord. I wish my mama were here to sing that for you. I'd say, stand up and sing that, mama, would you? And boy, I'd tell you, she'd knock it out. She'd put Vestal up. I mean, she, she, could, she could go up against Vestal. So we, we've got to do our time. And I, I, Steve, I'll go look at that phrase now. I've never done a deep dive on that one to see what workout means. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, we do. I'm, I've been guilty of that far too many times. Yeah, yeah. And that makes the devil happy. Um, let's look really quickly. While we're close to... Uh, and let's go to John 20 and then we'll close. John 20. Now, every book in the Bible was written for a purpose. God had a purpose for everything, every jot and tittle that's in here. We know that. But... If I remember correctly, and I could be definitely wrong, it's an awful big book. John is the only author that I know states why he wrote what he wrote. And we find it in chapter 20, verse 31. And it's, it's, you know, it's for an obvious, specific, easily understood purpose. He did that also in the first epistle that he wrote. He had a purpose behind it. These things have I written, he tells us. So I like John. I like things easy understood. Now that doesn't mean John's not deep. If y'all remember, I stood before you and preached John 1 and 1, 1, 14, and that was about as deep as it could be. But some of the easiest verbiage that you've ever read in the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I mean, it's saying. But listen to what he says here in chapter 20, verse 31. He said, but these things are written that you might believe, and that believing, look at this, that believing you might have life through his name. That's what he gets. He tells us in John 17, 1, 2, or 3, he tells us that uh, eternal life is Jesus Christ. And if you, well, let's turn back just a couple of pages in, in all of our Bibles. In verse 3, since it's chapter 17, I'm sorry, chapter 17, verse 3. He said, This is eternal life. Now watch how it's written that, you, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. If you know him, in the free pardon forgiveness of sin, you know eternal life. Because Jesus is eternal life. How many of you have Jesus in your heart say amen? You got eternal life. Now listen, let me close on this. Let me close on this. 
if I come to the altar and say, quote, I got saved, and seven years out, I backslide, and I live like the devil the rest of my life. I didn't have eternal life, did I? No, I did not. If I go to the altar, and listen to how I said that, say I got saved. Not everybody comes to the altar, gets saved. Keep that in your mind. We're going to come back to that in this study. How many of y'all, now this is, is this not a trick question, but be honest and please don't be embarrassed. I'd love to, I'd love to have everybody participate in this. How many of y'all believe that Judas Iscariot was saved? Raise your hand. None of you? you one? Thank you for being honest. Anybody else? Nobody else? He was never saved. Jesus said he was a devil from the beginning. But Jesus appointed him to the apostleship. He carried the bag. They trusted him. He was a good man. He went on ministry tours. Well, just because somebody teaches the word doesn't mean they're, they're, they're saved. Man, listen, the devil is able to turn himself even into the angel of light. We'll get into that later. I just wanted to prime the bucket for another day. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Listen, the Bible tells us that if they continue with us, they're saved. And we'll get to that eventually. Questions, comments, good, bad, ugly? Don't be personal. All right. I say I look forward to next week too. And this is where we'll start, the Lord willing. We'll start back about our salvation, see how we're saved because of what Christ did. And then we'll do a little deeper dive in, into how the Spirit works. Okay, we'll get to the sealing and what that means and the earnest of the Spirit and how that kind of goes together and complements each other. Now, let me give you all in closing my definition. Lord, I, I, was, I was so embarrassed by that. And I don't embarrass, I really wasn't embarrassed. I just hate, I just hate that I messed it up. Justification is a judicial act by God, whereby, in light of what Jesus did at Calvary, God is able to declare righteous, not make righteous, the believing sinner while still in a sinning state. Can I tell you what that definition is? It's a wow. Now, God doesn't make us righteous, that's yet to come. He declares. Now, he sees us as righteous as he does Christ because we're in Christ. Hence, he sees right Christ's righteousness on us. On us. It's a put to our account. He sees me justified. And we'll get that maybe next week in Romans 5.1. We'll at least get to it pretty soon. We, he sees me not just as if I had not sinned. But listen to this. See, this is better. He sees me as if I had never been a sinner. He is able to declare us righteous while still in a sinning state. When we trust Christ and Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, means put on our account, God sees Christ's righteousness on us. He no longer sees our sins. The blood cleanses us from our sins. And that's why I put on the end of my definition, while still in a sinning state. See, that's amazing. What a mighty God we serve. Well, hey, pray for me. Look forward to being with you tomorrow night. Any questions? Look, if you all got questions, here's what I meant to say on my column all today. Either text them to me or write them down and bring them. All right? So.
All right. Jerry, how about dismissals? You care to?